Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 1420 The Watch Clicker Podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm fine. I need one of these beers. Hold on. It's okay. Yeah. uh, No, I'm really good, man. Uh, I feel like that's the way I start every... Every, You're always really good. You know why? Because you're in my... Or you're in our recording studio drinking beer. <laughs> Just drinking some beer, man. Uh, it's been a day. It's been a day. It's been a week. It's, it's also Tuesday. Uh, it's supposed to start snowing. And it's only... Uh, it, yesterday you didn't work. I worked yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I worked yesterday. Mailman didn't, so... <laughs> Neither did the courts. Yeah, my, my staff was a little grumbly about it. When we got to, when I got to work, I was in the elevator with one of my legal assistants, my receptionist, just coincidentally, that doesn't happen very often, and the building manager. And the building manager was like, oh, I'm so glad someone's open. I think there's only like three businesses in the whole nine floors that are open today. Thanks, fucker. And I'm like, Janet, please, I really don't need you No, to be- but we stand to lose potentially one or two maybe more work days this week yeah it was a good idea to work on monday no i I, it's it's president's day what why we do not need president's day off get your ass into work build some time (laughs) because of america and shit america george washington would want that that's right pill the hours right man anyway i'm doing well andrew how are you i am good as you said, it's Tuesday, so tail end of weekend as usual. Uh, I had a, I had a really good series of meals over the last couple of days. So yesterday, I made Peking chicken in lieu of duck, just mm. traditionally with duck. But yeah, I yeah. Used chicken because that's what I had. It turned out terrific. Did you use the whole chicken? Whole chicken. Okay. Because I always have a couple broiler chickens in the freezer sure um and i was like that sounds really good and because uh we're doing a dairy free thing because mark is showing some dairy sensitivities that it's like eh, life is just easier if you don't eat dairy like you can make your choices but at home we're kind of moving away from it just to let him have cheeseburgers and shit at school um <clears throat> anyway it means a lot of like southeast asian and Asian cooking because there's not a whole lot of dairy products in it. Right. So I was like, oh, what can I do? Like, oh, Peking chicken. Number one, it turned out great. I'm, I didn't quite. Did the breast turn out okay? I, the I feel breast turned out money. What what didn't turn out well is the skin. I didn't get a good crisp on the skin. But the marinade I used soaked well into the meat. So I didn't, I, I'm, I'm not missing the crispy skin. I would have liked to have had it, but I didn't miss out on it. Uh, I made picking pancakes to go with it. I fucking love those. And uh, then today, with leftover chicken, made a big old mess of fried rice. Nice. Man, man. Made spring rolls to go with it, too. I, I was thinking maybe the white meat wouldn't wouldn't lend itself well to picking, but It it did. And I think it's because I, I did a good long marinade on it. Um, Which is probably also why you didn't get a great... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think... The skin was was entirely my fault. I let too much, I think I was at just a touch too high temperature, uh, and there was too much um, 
of the marinade in the bottom of the pan when I started. Steaming. So it kind of steamed it. Yeah. Um, cause I got some char, but I didn't get good crisp and I, I, that's whatever that, that gets corrected just by it, some, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but the meat turned out great. The white meat is, wasn't dry at all. Great. Um, which is probably also a function of having too much cooking liquid in the bottom, which is kind of steaming it the whole time. So I don't know. It's a give or take, but the, the flavor turned out great. Good baking flavor throughout. Um, but yeah, so I'm just like riding the high of having two like really good fresh cooked back to back dinners. Uh, cause I hate leftovers. They're just never the right temperature. And we eat a lot of leftovers cause I cook, you know, and then we eat it for a couple of days and then cook a new meal. Uh, and it just never, it just never quite scratches the itch. Sure. And there's a really good possibility we're going to get some snow tonight. And I'm excited about that. I'm not so excited because I will still have to go into work. But, um, you know, whatever. So, so the other reason I asked you about your chicken. Yeah. I, I've been I've been cooking a lot of thighs. Yeah. I'm, a ch- I'm a chicken thigh man. I'm a thigh I, man. The thighs are the, the truth. Chicken breasts are for a very, very few unique applications. And I've been cooking them really deep. So I... I've got a like one does like one does I have a thermometer right but I've been I've been doing like huli huli chicken you know turning every five minutes and turning Mm -hmm. for like 45 minutes to an hour and taking it to instead of like I think a lot of people pull their chicken right at 165 which I think is what you should do for breasts I've been taking my thighs to like 195 interesting just keeping it going and I will tell you for a thigh that is the truth. I do thighs on the grill, and then I put a baking dish in the oven with like a shitload of butter at like two fifty, and just like. And once they come off the grill, I finish them in the butter and just let them soak and braise them. Braise in the butter for 20, 30 minutes, and holy cow! Like the chicken thighs need more fat, but. Well, next time you do a thigh, take it take it like super far. Like okay. go like one ninety five. You, I mean, you can like two hundred is f- totally fine. I don't thermometer it's, thighs. Well, you should. I feel thighs. I, I just I touch. get get in there, boy. Get in there. Get the thermometer going. I, I temp everything but chicken thighs. Take one to like two hundred. Okay, it, it'll change your life. Okay. Yeah. Does it like melt and get kind of like yeah. briskety, like pulled? Yeah. Okay. Yep. You rest them. Uh, you don't have to. I mean, you can, but no, I don't. I usually just take them right off. It doesn't get melty, but Do you it, like bone in like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Always I with can the see, bone. I can see that. Always with the bone. Uh, but we, <laughs> alas, forty and twenty. We talk about that podcast, drinks, life, and other things we like. This is what kind of stuff you got to deal with when yeah. we're. It's only seven minutes in. Relax, people. Just chill out. This is, okay. This is, you know, early days. We could go fifteen minutes like this. <laughs> Just relax, okay? Put it in third. Slow down. Chill the fuck out. We're going to be here the whole hour. And, and probably then and some. And then some. Because <laughs> of America and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in any event, we are talking about watches. We're there. We're there. We made it. We're talking about watches. Uh, do you want to intro our episode this week, Andrew? I, I, this is your idea. I'd like you to intro it. So we, we were talking about... Uh, we were talking about iconic watches. We've been, we, you know, we're always, it's like a thing that people talk about. What does that mean? Uh, but we specifically, we wanted to do an episode, um, have a conversation about iconic affordables. What affordable watches that are currently in production today are iconic? And 
And that's fine, right? You can say those words, but it quickly becomes apparent when you start that conversation that maybe I kind of can mean a whole bunch of things. Yeah. And it's hard to reach in the affordable world. That's right. That's right. So this turned out to be harder than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) The the first part of our, our research or our conversation about this episode was, okay, what does iconic mean? And, and I sort of started with some parameters and and then that developed, but because I didn't like them. <laughs> As is, and and you, I felt like you were kind of like on the defense because I was playing semantics. But in this context, words matter. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. In any event, we did, I think, get to a, a pretty neat set of standards for affordable, iconic watches. Mm-hmm. And and really, it comes down to three things. And and they're immutable but flexible. I think you can apply these categories to anywhere on the price spectrum. I think that's to, right. To iconic. Yeah. And I think we distilled what makes traditionally iconic watches iconic. And, and you may or may not have a different definition, and, and that's fine. And and we're happy to hear you out. But for yeah. us, the first category, the the first criteria was price. We're, we're talking about affordable iconic watches, and so we had talked about a few numbers. Uh, ultimately, we're going to stick with $1,000 for now. Mm-hmm. With inflation, that number maybe changes at some point. But for right now and for this conversation, we're going to stay at 1000 bucks. So these are all going to be watches that can be purchased, if not at a, if not under 1000 then then certainly right there. Uh, yeah, a sneeze within. Uh, there has to be... Uh, an originalness of design. Now here we are in 2023 and every watch that will ever be made has more or less been made, right? That people are going to like. That's right. (laughs) With that said, and I think that we agreed as we sort of moved through this, there are some watches that are more original than, Mm -hmm. than others. Certainly there are some watches that, that are certain that are just not original. Like that's not original. Uh, but the watches that we've picked for today's show all bring something to the table and are original in their own right. Yes. And, and the the third category, and this was the hardest to pin down because we talked about some watches that but for this category may not have, may have made the list, but, but otherwise didn't. A little hard to pin down, but but generally some sort of legacy, some sort of staying power, some sort mm-hmm. of what appears to be long-term role in the conversation. So be it popularity, be it excitement around the release, some sort of staying power in the watch conversation. Yeah, it's something timeless, right, That that will not, and this is different than the design, than the uniqueness, than the than the DNA. But this is something that we'll never look back on and be like, Phew, this isn't bell bottoms, right? This isn't hammer pants, which were cool for a flash. This is something that will continue on. Yeah, and you use that word timeless. And, and, and I'm not sure I, I love that term uh, because I think that some of these designs might be some of the watches we're going to talk about sort of. Are, are in a 
in a place in, in the design, but their but their reputation and the love for them exists notwithstanding that. Mm-hmm. So I accept. Yeah. Yeah. So w- those are the criteria. So w- you can send your objections uh, to will to will. <clears throat> absolutely. And, and go from there. But for now, that's what we're rolling with. Can we get one out of the way just right away? Well, it sounds like you're gonna, I don't, I sounds like maybe I don't have a choice. You do not. The, the winner of the iconic cl- affordable category is hands down G-Shock across the board. Yeah, I'd say specifically the 5600. 5600, but you take any skew. Perhaps the 6900, perhaps the the Cassioke. Yeah. Those three watches, I think, are the it, ones. It. When G-Shock arrived, they did a special thing that has been emulated time and again by many other brands. And though they come out with new stuff, they have the staying power in that a lot of their designs really haven't changed. The technology has been significantly upgraded. They've introduced new things. They've obviously ended things. But by and large, G-Shock set the tone and has held it. Perhaps the iconic affordable watch of all time. Perhaps. The most iconic affordable watch ever made, G-Shock 5600. Yes, as worn by everyone. <laughs> right. Everyone. Yeah. So. so but we're not going to talk about it a lot. We, we, there's no need. Right. We don't have to defend that one. That's the winner. End of show. Yeah. Cue the music. <laughs> 14 minutes. What up? <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. I'd like that. We need to talk about Seiko. Oh, interesting. Weird, right? I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Seiko's done some things throughout history. You know, they shook up the watch world and almost ended it. And then they rejoined the party once the quartz crisis ended. And they've done some really cool stuff. And I think the first thing we need to talk about is the SKX. Yeah, what, what what we're gonna co- we're gonna call this category the SKX, but really this is a direct successor to the 1988 Seiko 7002 descendant, descendant successor, and and, and the 7002 has. I mean, you, if you saw 7002 on the street, you might say, "Oh, nice SKX." I mean, there's a lot of people who believe that Schwarzkopf was wearing an SKX in the pre-SKX days. Not true. Because he wasn't. That's right. I've also seen some interesting discussions that he wasn't wearing a Rolex on the other wrist. That's neither here nor there. And maybe for another episode. (laughs) The 7002 gives birth to the SKX. So 1988 and 1996, I believe, respectively. Yes. And here we have it, right? This is arguably one of if not the most iconic affordables for watch people i've written multiple articles about 
the iconic nature of this the SKX. It is it is for me because of where and how I came into watches the iconic watch. And and, and I realize it's a bit controversial. Some people like it, some people don't, but it's undisputably iconic, right? Mm-hmm. It came with familiar design in the 7002, a design that we were aware of, that we, I was born, but not aware of it. We, the people at large, were aware of, familiar with. It brought the new technology that wasn't even kind of new, but it brought the new hip cool technology in the way of an automatic movement. Mm-hmm. What? That's fancy. And it was a steal. So between it being a well specced, kind of oddly well specced watch. ISO certified. Yeah. Right. Who does that at? 120 bucks less i'm sure when it came out yeah i think i think msrp on that thing was 180 or something when it came out yeah but for most people in the watch world this represents a thing right we've talked about it a lot that everyone starts with either an snk an skx or something of the mako family as their first true automatic watch, their first thoughtful purchase. And, and that and may it, be changing a little bit, there's, but yeah, there's a little hyperbole there, but that's it. Those are the pillars of the first, like, I'm going to get a cool watch. <laughs> sure. I, I know about watches. Look at my SNK. Let's start a podcast. Look at my SKX. <laughs> Look at my fucking Mako. But the Mako's not in the discussion. It's the SKX. And what it, does for Seiko is it is it grabs this huge chunk of the not just the watch people but also discerning consumers and people who are interested in a prospect dive watch yeah it it's kind of not something that gets done anymore to grab that huge of a population throw it at Macy's and it's actually still cool. Yeah. There's some time and place things that were happening and, and Seiko was the one wearing the prettiest dress at the end of the night, I guess. Shortest, shortest, shortest dress, dress at, at the, the end, end of the night. night. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> yeah. Cause there's a lot of other moving pieces in the watch world at the, at in 1996 when the SKX comes out. 96. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds right. Within this category of Seiko, we have some other really important dive watches that have remained. Unless you have something more to say on yeah, the SKX. I don't, I don't, but I, I, I think I, I, I disapprove of your segue. I, I think that there's one other watch that we need to talk about side by side with the SKX before we talk about any of the others that we've identified, which is, which is the Seiko turtle. I, I think the Seiko Turtle, an earlier design, 1976, I believe, is when the Turtle gets, uh, really comes into its own. Um, and, and in many ways, in many ways, and I think for a lot of people, that is kind of the, the watch that puts Seiko on the map. And here we are 
today, 2023, you can buy a turtle. Still. You can, you can buy a couple different iterations. You know, there's also 62 MAS. You, you know, Seiko has a number of watches that are important in that discussion. But for me, looking back historically, at least at the last 50 years or so, in the affordable space, you get the tuna. Mm-hmm. Not the tuna. The turtle. Did I say tuna? Earlier? You did say tuna. Yeah. I, I meant turtle. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. So you've got the turtle. You've got the SKX. And in the affordable space, I think those two watches sort of emerge uh, to give Seiko what whatever this thing is, this mantle, in this affordable killer prospect dive space. You know, you know, w- we talk about the best dive watches. You've got Doxa. You've got... Uh, you, you know, Blanc Bond, you've got Rolex, you've got Omega, you've got all of these famous dive watches and side by side with them, you've got Seiko. At 10% the price. At 10%, yeah, perhaps less oftentimes, yeah. right? And so it, it it's these two watches for me that do that for Seiko. Mm-hmm. And and I think they're really important. And, and And I think that probably between those two watches, you've got strong adherence to either. And, and and some people are just like, yes, yes, more. Give me all. Both, please. Yes, thank you. But, <laughs> you, you know, these are the two watches, I think, that really punch out above the rest. And, and obviously, SKX has a special place in my heart. But I think it's hard to argue that it's more important long term than the turtle. I think so. And and. I think that's made evident by Seiko's decision to kill the line and begin a new generation. Yeah. In the five series with the Sex KX, which I don't think is necessarily an iconic watch. It's a continuation of the SKX. I think it it holds the SKX up. That's our 38 millimeter, you know, non rotating bezel. What, what I had deemed mm-hmm. the dress KX and you've appended to the SKX, but you've got these, these, you know, one to one hundred meter. Yep. Five sports within that. And I think made even more evident by the, it, it shows that Seiko recognizes what they have in the SKX when they release the SSK OO series in the GMT featuring their new GMT yeah. movement in an SKX. It's an SKX case, yeah. Or a 7002 case, perhaps. But yeah. Well, it's an SKX case. Sure. Because no one says, oh, it's a 7002. <laughs> it's an SKX. Yeah. And, and you know, for whatever reason, the same watch needed an automatic movement to make the splash. And it made the splash and Seiko knows what they have in that. And that's, I, I think why they discontinued the SKX proper and bred it for a dozen different descendants and are continuing that line really, really deliberately. Yeah. And, and, and as to the turtle, the turtle sort of emerged as the um, entry level diver Seiko pro diver, uh, and and the SKX case has kind of not been relegated, but has been expanded in a more entry-level fashion. So both of those watches being maintained in, in really discreet and different ways, mm-hmm. 
within Seiko's modern lineup. Yeah, because we'll never see a Prospects version. But we will always see Prospects Turtles. Yeah. And iterations of it. I, I still hold I hold out hope for Seiko to come out with a six hundred dollar iteration of the SKX. Maybe I don't need I don't need an ISO certification, but But um, you gave it to me already, so just keep it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love to have, you know, ceramic better movement that was the bitch though and that was that was kind of the charm of the skx is that it was it it, it's not everything you want it to be but it's way more than you need it to be yeah also within the seiko world we've already briefly touched on the snk i don't know if you agree with me that the snk is exactly an iconic watch um and and i i think it is an iconic watch simply because of the role it has played for watch people. Maybe it's not iconic in the watch world at large, which is what we're really trying to address here is truly iconic affordables, whether it be the legacy, whether it be the the true design that went into it, um, the splash that it made, like whether it's a revolutionary thing that, or a huge change or something that's just like, just, just got it right? Just that little tweak that we needed. But I think the SNK holds a really unique place in that it's a super boring pilot's field watch, but it's a hundred bucks. The old pilot's field watch category. Uh, yeah, it's a hundred bucks and it represents the super special thing within the watch community that is frequently the first watch people mod. It's a hundred bucks. It's often the first automatic watch that people buy because they're like i'm gonna make a really deliberate decision here i'm gonna spend a little bit of money so exactly 73 bucks on amazon I'm, I'm gonna move up from uh a weekender and i'm gonna get a piece of technology that's not a smart watch yeah you, you know for me because uh, i th- i agree with everything you're saying <clears throat> i don't disagree with a single word you're saying for me I, it doesn't make my list and, and and so we're we're sort of we're floating here, right? Which, which is yeah, okay. Just follow, so maybe just, maybe we'll call this an honorable mention. Just follow us. Uh, but for me, it lacks the originality of design. Hundred percent. There's nothing. There's nothing original on this watch. Not even a little bit. So the turtle's iconic design. The SKX is an iconic design. The SK the S. Excuse me. The turtle is iconic. The SKX is iconic. The SNK is like, oh yeah, it's a watch. Uh, it looks like 90,000 other SKUs that are out there in the world. Right and now. so for me, I see that that's why it's an honorable mention. I accept, but that skew holds a special place in the watch world. True. Even though it's boring. We do have a couple of other watches in Seiko's repertoire from the last, uh, 25, 30 years that, that I think make this list in, in a more than honorable mention fashion. I agree. Uh, one of those for me has to be the Seiko Sumo. Okay. It, not the most popular watch in Seiko's lineup, but it does, it, it is a design, right? That watch is a design. It's beloved. People, they're still selling them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's phenomenal. It's a, it's certainly a pillar of the of of the Seiko Pro Spec world, right? They provided options, which is is unique 
to Seiko within this space. With Rolex, you could get a sub, you get a sea dweller. With Omega, you can get a... Oh boy, why is the name eluding me? Uh, a Seamaster? A master. There's the one. Uh, like, where is he going with this? Uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, Seiko did a thing where they're like, hey, here's our five offerings. They're all different in very real ways. Not just, oh, here, this one has a different dial color. They have They offered these very different options. So you got to pick. You weren't boxed into... Well, this is what we have. Sorry. You may get one of these two options or you may get this choice or you may not. Seiko did a thing where they were really appealing to consumers and it worked because they came up with some awesome stuff and they put it all to market and said, let's go. And then one more watch, one more watch we're going to talk about before we move on from Seiko, because this watch, this episode could be dedicated to Seiko. Entirely, because of Seiko's design. And arguably, this watch is not under a thousand bucks, but it arguably is. We're going to just throw the word out there. I've already said it mistakenly, but Seiko Tuna. Available so, in nine million different iterations uh, and introduce the shrouded case in an accessible manner. What we're talking about generally is that shrouded case watch that you know and love available in quartz, available in Anadigi, um, perhaps most famously Solar. in the Marine Master uh, iteration, which is never going to be what I would call affordable, but relatively is an affordable watch uh, but the Seiko Tuna it fits it's iconic if if there is a definition of iconic you just throw a picture of this in here because it absolutely fits the bill staying power and a design that was then adopted into a dozen other lines That's there right. are people who have done who have had custom shrouds cnc'd for watches there are services available to get other watches turned into tunas it that's iconic that's iconic that changed the game that's right look i found a uh a prospex street series tuna safari edition i didn't send any links because there were too many i like it a lot can you buy that and give it to me you it is uh 459 dollars after a coupon i don't know where you get a coupon but it says after coupon <laughs> on watch do you, shopping do you get it out of the, the sunday paper or? probably a tuesday paper that's not one they want people to have fair enough um but that said that's that it, i mean that's like introducing titanium or carbon fiber mm. it it changed the idea of what a case should look like, what a case should do. That's huge. I'm looking at a watch rapport. Marine Master Prospects Tuna Spring Drive Ooh. 600 meter watch. And God damn. How many oh, money is that? A lot. Like 
many monies. 2,500 monies? 34. That's more monies. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we, we've now talked about we've now talked about Cassio in particular in the G Shock. Oh, okay. We we've talked about Seiko, and I think it's fair for us to say, if you're looking for iconic, affordable watches, we've covered already really the most obvious picks in my mind for the last. 25 years available today, we've covered the best possible choices. But we've got a, the most obvious. The also. most, uh, yeah, and maybe that's what I mean. The most obvious choices. And I think all of these watches are fantastic. Everybody who's gotten into this game has looked at these watches, talked about these watches, thought about these watches. If you wanted to have icons, a collection full of affordable icons, I think all of the watches we've talked about thus far could very should very well be on your list and and probably in your collection. And if they weren't already on your radar, stop slacking on your icon collecting. But Andrew, you brought up some fun examples and I'd like you to pull one of yours out because I loved I loved your additions. I sort of proposed a list and you came up with some really awesome additions that I was like, that's so obvious. Why didn't I get there? Okay, so we'll stick with Seiko in the way of the Alpinist. And we're talking the twin stick Alpinist, right? Because there's been a lot of iterations of Alpinist. Some true to the original, some changes. But we're talking internal rotating bezel, four o'clock crown Alpinist. And the reason I think this is iconic because you own one? It redefined the Alpinist. It went from, in the, the mind at large, the three-hander to the twin stick. From the laurels of old to uh, something new, different, and basically unparalleled, unmatched, unhomaged in the watch world. Yes, it took an iconic watch in the way of its legacy and said, that's fine. We don't care. We're going to do it better because we can. And then they did do it better. These are available all day, every day. I own one. I love it. I fucked it up. I still wear it though. It doesn't keep time. (laughs) This, this, and, and this is on our, list every time when we're talking about objectively best sport watches that are affordable. This is, I mean, these are probably about 800 bucks now um, in the zone at least. Uh, that's it though. They're super versatile. I love them. This is a game changer in the way of redefining a thing and landing it. I love this watch. I still don't own one, and I need to get one. Do you want mine? I'll sell it to you for a good deal. I think I want an 017. Yeah, it's great. I I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better, iconic, affordable available today. Uh, All of the watches we've talked about are in the the game. This has got a fantastic movement. It's a good-looking watch. A hundred years from now. This watch is still going to be cool. 
and still going to be attractive because it's also boring. Andrew, can I talk about a watch from a different company that you added to the list that I was trying to get you to talk about? Yeah, do it. The watch that we haven't talked about in way too long because we talked about it so much that I think at some point we're like, we got to stop talking about that watch. But the Citizen Nighthawk. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking... So there's a touch of a caveat here. The Citizen Nighthawk we're talking about was discontinued about two years ago. But they are can still, still be purchased brand new. Widely available. You can still get them brand new in box. Citizen rebranded the Nighthawk series. There's still analogs available, but not the watch we're talking about. We're talking about the Citizen Nighthawk BJ7000-52E. This is a solar watch from Citizen with a giant dial, a GMT function, solar power, date, three hands, plus a fourth hand, and a slide roll. It is like nothing else that has ever existed. There is perhaps some comparisons that could be drawn between this and the Navitimer, just in terms of busyness and, you know, that I aesthetic. I, I even think about some of the some of Gabox watches, but Breitling is really where my mind goes when I see this Nighthawk. But with that said, it is not an it is not a Navitimer. This is not an homage to a Navitimer. You wouldn't see these watches on the street and be like, oh, 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 right. They are totally different. This watch is everybody who's ever touched one is like, whoa, that's cool. Yep. Like you might see this on Amazon and be like, Meh. and then you'll get it in your hand and you'll be like, oh, this is fucking cool. It's got a stellar bracelet. Why is it so good? Nobody I, knows. I think for years and years and years, this is a $275 watch. It's a quartz watch, but it doesn't matter. It's an eco drive watch. It's not exactly quartz. For years and years, at under about, well, shit. There was not a, a affordable bracelet on the market as good as this thing. Nope, not not by a long shot. Six or seven years ago, this was the king of affordable bracelets. Uh, it and and so now technology, I think, has has caught up, and micro brands are making killer shit. But mm -hmm. it's the case is phenomenal. The dial is great. It's completely illegible under most circumstances, but also totally easy to tell time on. It has a ton of things you don't need. Well, primarily a slide rule. Yeah. Well, and like that, it's got a, the GMT function I think is still my favorite thing about this watch. Because it, it, whoever thought of it is a crazy person. A crazy person. It doesn't make any sense. And Except it that makes it makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. Yeah. It's not a... 20, what well, is a 24 hour GMT function that exists from six to 12. It's got an eight o'clock crown. How many times have we said that phrase on this show? Eight o'clock crown. Well, however many times we've talked about the night. Right. <laughs> I think this actually may be the first time we've ever uttered that eight o'clock crown. What? Uh, this is a beautiful watch. It's and totally iconic. It's, it's underrated. And underappreciated. And the eight o'clock crown, I super appreciate as a right wrist watch wearer. Yeah. The eight o'clock crown is exactly where you want your function mm -hmm. dial to be. That's how you manipulate your slide rule. 
And as an aviator, I think I'd be a little pissed off reaching across my watch to try to like contort myself to try to manipulate my slide rule and read it while also trying to fly an airplane. But as a, a right wrist, wrist wearer, right with, with. that's perfect. Mm-hmm. You're now wishing your Santos had a eight o'clock crown. Yeah, I can tell. No, I'm okay with it the way it is. But uh, every time, so I've I had this I I had this watch for a while. I never owned it, but I kept it for way too long when somebody sent it to me. Our our homie yeah. MGMA's Mike <clears throat> Bazura, thank you. And I don't know why I never bought this. I my I I know I swiped right on it because it's too big. I just wouldn't wear it. I have other things that I would wear more. I'd wear I, it. I regret not owning this watch, though. If you've got this watch and you want to sell it to me for a cupcake or two Hostess cupcakes, one real cupcake, two Hostess cupcakes. I'll send you a beer also. And a beer. I will arrange that. Yeah. But this is an iconic watch. It spawned an entire line within Citizen. The line continues on and the OG... Whoa, that was a big burp. Uh, the OG is is gone. This is like very much when like a mafia family, the Don dies and like a weak captain rises up and then they just get their shit pushed in. So we've now talked about Casio, Seiko, Citizen. We've eschewed Orient. I'm sorry, Orient. Fuck off. Orient doesn't land in it. Orient, go home. Do better. Andrew, hook me up with something different because we've covered the Japanese bases but I think we're going to go some other places here. We, we are going to go some other places. I want to talk about the Hamilton Pulsar. The PSR. <laughs> Tell me, baby. So here, here's why I think this watch is iconic. Not just that it's an affordable iconic. I think they come in at about 800 bucks. Yeah, I think they're retail 775 and you can get them for under six. This is a Bond watch. This is the first LED watch. This thing was designed to look like the year 2021. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a it's a it doesn't modernist look- watch that was created after the modernist movement. Yeah. Battlestar it, Galactica. It doesn't look like the year 2021. It looks like the year 1968. The I think Octopussy was 1968. What is the what is the Disneyland uh, section? The like future. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, it is also amazing. For those of you unaware, it's a kind of a rectangular case, rounded edges, a big ass black lit LED screen. With numbers in the middle. There is nothing special about this watch. But for the fact that everything is special about it. It was revolutionary when it was released. It was like it was a fucking bond watch. Right? What bond watch is affordable? It, it, is this a is this what what bond movie? This is Live or Let Die, right? Octopussy. Okay. I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> and, and and 
I, I think that this watch is, well, first, certainly it meets all the criteria. It's available today. It's it's affordable. It's under $1,000. It is absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, iconic today. I think you talk about this 10 years ago. Mm-mm. It doesn't make the list. Today, absolutely, it makes the list. It represents also the beginnings of brand reissues because this wasn't a con- this isn't an unbroken line from its first release. Correct. This is I think this was re released what three years ago. Y- yeah, so somewhere in that range. That's right. Um, but and it, it repres- was not always an affordable watch, right? When this watch was introduced. Probably not something that you'd call an affordable watch. It was top of the line coming from Hamilton. It was the thing. And now it's affordable because the technology has gotten smaller, gotten cheaper, gotten easier. There's some nostalgia tied to it. There's a little bit of hipsterism tied to it. But I don't think that negates from the fact that this is a revolutionary, affordable, and now 60 year old watch <laughs> that's right that's right you're a 50 year old watch but 50 year old watch it's crazy it's a 50 year old watch and it's it's gorgeous you can get these in gold which i think if i was going to get that i would get the gold version i wouldn't but i i totally see why you would I, I, I feel I, like that I, is a passive aggressive insult. No, I get the appeal. It's just I can't do gold. I wouldn't wear it if it was gold. Yeah. I'd wear a gold calculator. I'd wear a, a few other gold watches. But I I would wear them so infrequently that I wouldn't really be ready to spend more than like a hundred bucks on it. And, and just and just quickly an aside here, right? Hamilton introduced this watch as the Pulsar, creating a brand, the Pulsar brand, Mm -hmm. which in, I believe, 1979, as Hamilton was shedding dead weight. Falling apart. Was sold to Seiko. So the Pulsar brand that you know today is a direct descendant of this watch. It's actually a stepchild to Seiko. Under the Seiko umbrella. And the Hamilton PC, PSR is the direct descendant to this watch under the Hamilton umbrella. So it's the half brother. That's right. Pulsar still exists, now owned by Seiko. Uh, Hamilton Pulsar, Hamilton PSR still exists, still owned by Hamilton. Yes. Half brother, I think, is appropriate. <laughs> it's the half brother. It's the stepbrother. Did we just go and be friends? We might have. I'm going to I'm going to take us in a little bit different direction here. Do me. And and I'm going to come up I'm I'm going to talk about so we've got just a little bit more time. Just a little bit. Yeah, we got to we start burning. And and, and we're going to talk about some watches quickly here because s- some of these are a little bit questionable. So are we going to mm. call these honorable mentions, Andrew? I think we're going to call them hot takes. Hot takes. We're declaring the iconicism today. <laughs> maybe maybe a little bit um a little bit early so kind of early on in our conversation i brought up a watch and you were like gosh i just don't know does this make sense do i feel it um but i'm going to stick with it i'm going to talk about a watch that i think is perhaps today one of the m- most qualified entrants 
to this conversation. This is like first ballot Hall of Fame shit. And it's a watch from a brand that we don't talk about a ton. Mm-mm. And it's a, a, a watch from a brand that's not even really in my consciousness in the watch world. But I'm going to give credit where credit's due. And I'm going to talk about the Boulder Venture. Okay. Now, I'm going to get a caveat out of the way here. Because one of our requirements is originality of design. And I, and that's, that was kind of my, my reticence is like, I just don't know that it's there. The Boulder Venture is a very quirky looking watch. It's got some features. It's got some features that are derivative. Yes. So the Boulder Venture has a very unique lug design. And that lug design, I would say, apes a, a very, very famous watch made by Zenith, the Zenith El Primero. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a 1970s iteration of the Primero that is still t- sold today. Uh, that the the Boulder really is is looking at. So it's possible that you at home may disqualify my pick. And that's okay. But I'm going to put it in there anyway. The Boulder Venture has now been released in, I think, last I I counted, and I'm pretty sure there was 1.2 million different iterations, including a chronograph, a beautiful chronograph, every single dial color you can imagine. A GMT. These are titanium watches by and large. They're gorgeous. They're stunning. They're well-sized. They're well-built. I feel like nothing on the wrist. I love it. Boulder Venture, man. That's my pick here. I think it's a first ballot. It's a it's a it's a no for me, dog. Maybe on a second ballot. Because I, I hear and I totally agree with all the things that you're saying. But I just don't know it's quite there. I th- I think it kind of it's not exactly a PRX, right? But it kind of lives in that same space of like not one for one exactly, because yeah. a PRX is a one for one oh but not quite it's like a one for one like for 0.98 well let's talk about the prx because because you brought it up and i said gosh i don't i i don't think it fits because the pr the prx is a wonderful watch it's a re-release of a design Mm -hmm. from 50 years ago uh it's immensely popular it's a great size I said, I don't, I don't want to include it because at the time the PRX was originally released or the predecessor to the PRX, it was just a couple of years after Rolex had released its immensely possible, uh, immensely popular Oyster Quartz, which was an iteration of the 5100, which is probably the watch that gave rise to the Patek Nautilus, etc. Right. I mean, this is a the Oyster Quartz is one of the most important watches in history, and the PRX is a bold one-to-one copy. One to 0.98. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But its place in modern watch world is different than its original release, which right. is why it came to mind, right? Because I'm fully aware of the history of it and it's and it's we're 50 years removed from the Oyster Quartz, right? Original, right? But in, in the current era, it's a re-release of something that isn't really out there. But for, you know, its predecessors. <clears throat> we need to move on. 
I'd like to briefly discuss two Casios, the F91. Count it. Okay. There is it, you, you, a watch worn by somebody on the FBI's most wanted list and an American president is iconic, period. It's $10. Count it. Okay. F91. Casio World Or the Time. F84, if you're... If you're yeah. that guy. Uh, Casio World Time, right? A little bit of a of a rip from the Seiko that James Bond wore, but also widely available and go down, still Go down to Walmart tonight, you can buy one, guaranteed. Or get one on the Amazon and you can get them in six colors for 20 bucks a piece. Uh, Q Timex. Yeah. Right? Still kind of in that PRX world. You know, and, and you look at the M79 where Timex has done a couple cool things with it. It's unique to Timex. It's a Q, which is cool. It's a re-release of that. We got some big hype. I still think it's a first ballot no, though I think I want to mention it. And last but not least, can we talk about one other one other watch that we had trouble with, but that I want to talk about anyway, and I know you want to talk about. We agree is what I'm trying to say. I don't know. There's like five things on the list that I haven't crossed off. <laughs> Our friend, John Ferrer. Yes. Out of New York. Brew watches. The problem we had with brew watches, and, and it, it's a problem that remains right now as we're talking about it, is I can't identify a single watch from the brew selection that meets this criteria but there is a it meets that doesn't meet one category of the criteria. It's staying power. It's longevity for me. I identified the retromatic as the one that I think perhaps gets this list. But I think that there's an argument to be made for uh, the the brew retrograph. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that you sort of retro magic. The retro well, so there's a retrometric and then the retrograph. I, I think that there is an argument to be made that brew in and of itself has developed a unique design language. And so they getting so John, you're you're in. You've made one of the most iconic affordable watches in the world. We just don't know which one it is. Mm-hmm. You made the list. Time will tell. I, I think we just put the brand in because everything that John does is it feels familiar. Nothing is shocking. Yeah. But he took it and just put it to a new level in the way of applying coffee against it. And that's the thing, right? That's the difference. That's the the, the game changer piece that he's doing. And, and his watches look like nothing else in the fucking world. Nothing. Thank you, John. Yep. Can I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna quick run through them. Uh the Moon's watch is a watch that we included. Uh the Bulova Lunar Pilot is a watch that we included, and the Christopher Ward C60 300 pro the trident 300 pro you know included. what andrew i don't have to be home my my i don't have your to be kids home. are in bed my kids are in bed let let I, I i'm sorry i i got i got excited let's let's spend a bit of time the moon swatch okay yes i think yes i, I everything in me says no but I, I it doesn't not meet any of the categories and I think it's a yes. It's a it's a kind of a reluctant yes, but yeah. It's a yeah. We're done being mad about the moon swatch. It's well, no, yes. I want to be able to buy one. Not okay. at gray market prices. I'm mad about that. All right. 
We're almost done being mad about the moon swatch. It's a yes. I'm going to buy your anus. <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> the Bulova Lunar Pilot. It's a yes. It wasn't until two months ago. I think it was. Ago. I think it was even before. I think when they released the appropriate size, it became a yes for me. I actually think that the big one is the one that's iconic. Okay. That's an interesting disagreement, but we do agree that it's a yes. It's a yes. <laughs> now let's talk a little bit about the C60. We, I think, in, and within that category, we have to talk about why the C60, why Christopher Ward is special. It's because of the light catcher case, right? I think we could have picked any number of Christopher Ward watches to be truly iconic within their category. Aquitaine, Sealander, but it's the C60. It's the C60. The C60 Trident. The one that was, the 300 meter that was just released is is on our list because it's the one, it's the cream that's ris- risen to the top. Mm-hmm. But your point being that light catcher case is something special. I think no matter where you exist in watches, you're going to be able to look back and say, Christopher was onto something. Mm-hmm. And that is the most, for me, the most interesting watch, capital D, design in the world right now. Because by and large, the rest of the watch is just specced, right? Yes, right. It's It just meets the specs. Everyone is doing that. The unique case design that they are applying to their watches puts them on this list. Very much in the same way that Brew's unique design as a whole puts them on this list. Christopher Ward is doing the same. And it's something that's uncommon where we are, right? Because at the very beginning of the show, we said it's 2023. If you can do it, it's been done. 100 Apparently not. <laughs> and finally, last but not least, Foster Love and Atmos. Yeah, because it was made against a scoring rubric. <laughs> Andrew, we've done it. We've discussed the most <laughs> iconic watch. Do you mind if I just take a minute and 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 review where we've been? We've we've been a lot of places today. So starting at the top. Casio G-Shock. If you want to know the answer to this question, what are what is the most iconic affordable watch that exists today? Go get yourself a 5600, a 6900, a Casio. You've got the most iconic affordable watch in existence in 2023. For between 50 and $120. The Seiko SKX, any derivative design of the 7002 now widely available in the Seiko 5 Sports, the the dress kx or the diver versions and KX. and now the gmt version which you, is dope we that deserves a lot more attention than we can give it today you've got the turtle mm-hmm. you got the seiko turtle you've also got a handful of other options from seiko including but not limited to the sumo the snk the tuna the fucking arnie the arnie the alpinist and the alpinist i keep forgetting about the alpinist because it was lower on the list I'm sorry. <laughs> I hand wrote the list. We've got to say Citizen Nighthawk. We've got the Bull of a Lunar Pilot. We've got the F91. We've got the Q Timex. We've got the Moonswatch. 
We've got the Boulder Venture. Fantastic watch. Casio World Time, Casio F91, and of course, our friend John Ferreira at Brew, and our friend Mike France and York at Christopher Ward with their wonderful, wonderful watches. If you want an iconic watch, something that will be as cool 40 or 50 years from now, buy one of these. If you want the thing that you want to buy today, buy that. But if not, if you want something that you're going to be able to give to your kids and say, this is an icon, buy one of these. We kept it all under $1,000 and a sneeze. Andrew, other things, what you got? We've talked about this before. <laughs> Good. Good. These are my favorite other things. This is an early days talked about this before. <clears throat> and everyone knows the thing that I went through before returning to this thing. You ever get like bored of the games that are on your phone? And they're Constantly. Like, like just like kind of angry bored. Like, Constantly. like I don't really want to do anything. And I fucking hate all these games. All these games are dumb. Yep, I hate them. Well, I returned to a game. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious. It's from a company called Ninja Kiwi. The game is Bloons TD6. A game that was released like four or five years ago at this point. Yeah. I think this is one of my other things. It was one of your other things. Okay. Like three or four years ago. Okay. Such a good game. We were playing it contemporary, like as contemporaries. We were playing online together. Yeah. I was, I found myself kind of angry at the games that were on my phone and went to my like previously downloaded games and I saw this and I was like, I'll give it a try. I remember liking it. It was good. And then I got bored, right? Cause like it's, they don't release enough updates. Can, can, can we stop? Do you mind if I interrupt your Please other thing? Do. Okay, look. The premise of this game is simple. You're on a road. On this roads. Dozens and dozens of roads. On this road, balloons are going to pass you. Your objective is to stop these balloons from passing. Your tool to stop these balloons from passing are monkeys. And your monkeys will throw darts. Or you, you magic do not, spells or have other different skill sets. You generally speaking... Do not actively throw darts, mm -mm. but you put monkeys on the road to throw darts for you and your monkeys have different skills. Okay. This is the, this is the is premise of balloons and it sounds so dumb. No, this is early days, tower defense, online games. This is the shit that you played on like board at work.com addicting games.com. This is the, the level of interaction game that you have. That's right. And it is amazing. I got it back on my phone, found a couple new levels had been released. I don't know how long it's been since I played. Um, it had all of my previous progress stored, which kind of bummed me out because I would have liked you to have just like the, started the fresh, from like square yeah. one because um, that would have yielded more entertainment. Um, I started playing and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is awesome. I forgot how good tower defense games were, and I forgot how good popping balloons with monkeys was. So my other thing is a refresh. There are games in your previously deleted list that are 
super fun. There's a reason you downloaded them and played them. I have a lot that I downloaded, played for a minute, and was like, I don't like this. This is not one of those games. If you're in the position that I was about a week and a half ago, try Bloons TD6, and you're, you're going <clears> to... <throat> number one, this is a freemium game. Right. You will feel at no point compelled to spend money on it. Yep, yep. And that's important, right? Because you get a lot of freemium games, and you're like, what's a fucking dollar? Yeah, I want more attacks. I want to play more. I'm obviously going to pay a dollar for five more attacks. You don't need that here. You do not need that. You don't even want it. You're like, yeah, I'm good. It doesn't even occur to you. I'm good. Yeah. It's just hard enough that you're like, you're you're into it. Because like, this is too easy to be hard. I can do this. It's intuitive, but it's also deep enough like every monkey has different special powers. Some of them interact together yes. differently. You can spend you could spend days on YouTube just watching strategies. Yeah. Or you could figure it out yourself. You, you know what else takes more? Time. Uh, I'm going to say something about this game because I think it's actually one of the most beautiful iPhone games ever made. It, I love it. It's incre- <clears throat> it, it's incredibly deep. It, it it's one of those games where you're like you you think you understand it. And then, and then you discover a new level of complexity. It is phenomenally designed. The, uh, or a new interaction. The like, difficulty yeah. curve is very linear. There's a lot of games that exist where you get these, uh, you you get these peaks and valleys in terms of difficulty curve. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the best games I've ever played in terms of the linearity of the difficulty curve. Except you, at the very end where it goes from linear to just like spikes. Well, that that that's true. That's true, but you can overcome that in you, you get you feel like you're there. That's right. You yeah. feel like you're there where like, okay, my thing just spiked and then you really quickly get to the next level. And 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 you understand things in a different way. It is one of the most addictive games because your ability to understand and move to the next phase is very linear. It's very achievable, but it's challenging. You're constantly challenged and you're constantly able to overcome those challenges. And That's those, been my experience. And those those challenges, the the way you overcome them is by totally readdressing the way you play the game. That's right. And, and a lot of games it's like, okay, no, I this is my method. This is how I do it. And it generally works. This game, there are stages that totally prevent you from even attempting your method. And it's not painful. It's exciting. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And, and, and furthermore, the last thing I'll say about it, because we're talking about a game about balloons, pop, monkeys popping balloons. You can put top hats on the balloons, man. Or Mr. T-Beards. <laughs> like, no, this is a game we're talking about. The, the, the last thing I'll say about it is that it is pleasurable as you progress through. I, w- I will say on an older phone, I haven't played it on my new phone. On an older phone, at some point, so much is happening on the screen. My battery gets warm. My battery gets warm, and, <laughs> yeah. and also your phone will bog down. I think perhaps with my 14 Pro that wouldn't happen, but it is a game that m- might slow your shit down as you, as you get through it. I have not experienced any uh, hardware or software issues, but for a battery warming, 
I don't have an old iPhone. I have like a 11 or so. I don't know. What model do I have? In my mind, the greatest mobile game ever made. It I, I'd forgotten about it, and I was just scrolling through and saw it. I have a... It's just named... I have an 11. Is that old? No. It's okay. a couple years old. So I have an 11. My battery gets a little warm. Uh, it doesn't bog down until I like play in the sandbox, <laughs> which is create a level. And you've got like, like 70 bazillion 87 things going on. on the screen. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it bogs down when it should. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, I've got another thing. Do me. You're going to find a theme here with my other things. I think perhaps for the foreseeable future, but precisely. I bought a camera bag. Okay. Okay. So hear me out. You didn't, wasn't your whole thing that you wanted to throw your Fuji in your current bag? Listen, listen, don't, don't bring up reasonable shit. Okay. I, boy, when I, when I became a lawyer, I went and bought a bag, a briefcase. I bought a coach bag. It was a vintage coach bag. It's beautiful. It's lovely. Has some street gouges. It has street gouges. I bought it used. I bought it off of Craigslist. I showed up at a dude's house. I knocked on his front door. That's not sketchy. He brought the bag to the front door. I gave him a couple hundred dollar bills. I can't remember exactly how much I paid, but uh, I took the bag. I've carried that bag to work every day since then. It was basically new when I bought it. It was like one of those things someone had bought and then was like, I don't fucking use this thing. I need to sell it. He probably got it as a gift. It's a gorgeous bag today. However, I, I, I use this thing every single day now for well over a decade. I have been hit by a car while carrying this thing. It's got a huge gouge in the side. I've had it repaired multiple times. I, the bottom blew out. I had to get the bottom repaired. Uh, one of the handles broke at another occasion. I had to get the handle repaired. One of the, uh, you know, one of the swivel locks on the shoulder thing broke. I, so I had to order some new hardware, get that reattached. Uh, about two weeks ago, the other handle broke in the same way that the first handle broke. Which track? This yeah. is not a commentary on the quality of this bag. This is an old vintage coach. The quality is beyond reproach. But I carry this thing every day and I'm hard on my shit. So all that to say, it's really not a big enough bag for me. It is a small bag. It barely fits like a like a a trial day i'm in trouble right i've got to take a different bag or you know we've got these rolly cart things for trials with a milk cart on it 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 really (laughs) is not quite big enough and one of the other problems i've had with it is that i throw even the tiny little fuji camera in there and it doesn't really work no because of the structure of leather right that's right yeah that's right so i'd had my eye on a company out of London called Billingham. Billingham has a series of bags called the Hadley bags. Billingham, I think, started off in the 80s as a fishing bag company. They they evo- they evolved that out looks of... looks like fishing bags. They evolved out of a company called Brady, I believe, which was a classic outdoor fishing bag company. I think one of their engineers or machinists left, started Hadley or Billingham, which is basically a competitor anyway that might it's long enough ago they don't we don't have, have to non-compete <laughs> clauses in their <laughs> that's contracts right, that's right it's long enough ago we don't have to worry about that but billingham has now for and and then in the 80s they discovered there's a bunch of like new york journalists using their fishing bags for cameras 
And they were like, oh, let, let's do that. So they've now for nigh on 35, 40 years been making camera specific bags. And they're they're widely respected in photography as super hard wearing, really high quality shit. Everything's handmade, top of the line bags. leathers. They're wet. Waterproof. Even withstand water, you're good. Waterproof. They've got like a tri-ply material, canvas material that's got a rubber liner, so they're, they're totally waterproof. A- anyway, I've had my eye on these bags for a while, but the design is kind of whatever. But they released a couple years ago a bag called the Hadley One, which is a laptop-inclusive briefcase, briefcase-sized bag that's also purpose designed for carrying a camera or two or all of your shit. Um, and you know, they're, they're not cheap. I think 400 bucks is what I paid for my Hadley one at Walmart. You can get it for three thirty. Ooh, <laughs> I bought a Hadley one and I instantly took it out of the bag and all my concerns about this thing or took it out of the box. All my concerns about this thing were instantly wiped away. I'd been looking at this thing and it's hard to get an idea of what a product is going to look like and feel like, especially a briefcase. Like what size is this? How big is it? Is it awkward? Is it chunky? Is it going to like expand? Is it going to compress? That's right. How's it going to like fold around the not square things I put in my, in my briefcase? Exactly. Exactly. Those questions. I pulled this thing out of the box and I instantly knew. I was like, this is cool. This is going to do exactly what I want. So now, for the past week, I've been carrying this thing. I've put all my all my normal briefcase stuff in it, which is, on an average day, probably four to ten files. A laptop. And four to ten files, that's probably like an inch and a half to two inches of manila folders. Uh, a laptop, a 14-inch MacBook Pro. It says 13 on the website. I'm confident you could get a 15-inch MacBook in there. Um, a camera, a f- my Fuji, my XE3 with the 23-millimeter lens, which is a pretty dainty lens, but it's not like an X100 It's unusually v. sized. Yeah. It's just, it's a protrusion. Yeah, that's right. I, I throw that thing in there. I could easily throw a lens in there as well without causing because it would turn sideways. Yeah. No additional interruption to the bag. I've got as many pens as I could ever want in there. And it just, it it is not, I, I've not even come close. Does it have an interior zipper pocket? Or is it, it just one single interior pocket and two exterior snap closes? Two exterior snap closes, a laptop sleeve, and a interior bucket. But mm. it's got inserts for your camera. So you can okay. you can use container shit. Yeah. That's right. So you can customize your like sensitive space. Why wouldn't they add like a six inch zipper, like three inch deep pocket on the inside? It, it's a really good question. That's my only criticism about this bag. That's where your pens go. That's my only criticism. Or your about fucking this light bag. meter. That's a that's a that's an atrocity. It's it's a legit criticism, and I think that this bag would be Almost perfect if they added that. Put a water bottle carrier on one end of it. You're in there. So my other thing is the Hadley Billingham one. I think a near perfect bag if you're looking to EDC a camera, which is exactly what I was looking for. Um, And and to also work, right? I did not find a single review of this thing online, which 
discussed my use case. Is that what they call that? Right. Like I, I'm the guy who I wants call it to, my to and from bag. I'm the guy who wants to have files, a computer and a camera. I could, this bag is made for doing that. And I could not find a single review online where someone had discussed this. Apparently you're the weird one. Here's what I'll say. It does it perfectly. It does it perfectly. So the insert snaps front and back. What I found is I can snap the insert just to the front. And so the back isn't attached, but that's where I put my files and it works perfectly. It's not loose. It doesn't feel flimsy. It's like, yeah, this is totally how this bag was meant to be. Does it feel flimsy if it's not full? Because I have an over the shoulder bag that feels flimsy if it's not full. So I carry things that I do not need to fill out the bag. Not at all. Okay. Not even a little bit. It's it's incredible. It is. I I felt like I was taking a risk buying this thing because of the amount of money, and I got it, and I was like, "This is it." It's a little bit of a flyer. That's a, that's you know not an insignificant flyer for between three and four hundred dollars. That yeah, four hundred bucks is what these things go. I don't know, but this is what Walmart vendor that's selling these for less. But it's I mean, red. It's really a four hundred dollar bag, so it, you, you're going to have to but. It's perfect for me. It's totally perfect. And the materials and the construction, I am confident that in 15 years, the same amount of time I've been carrying the coach, I'm confident this Hadley will still be running strong. I will not have to have this thing repaired. It is the Hmm. probably highest quality thing I've ever bought in my life. You own a Speedmaster. The Speedmaster will break before this bag. It'll have to get serviced. Okay. You own a lot of vintage Lexuses too. Yeah, those will those will outlast this thing. <laughs> Andrew, I think we've done it. We did, as usual, as is our way. Hey, you guys, thanks for joining us for this iconic episode of 40 and 20 the Watch Clicker Podcast. Uh, why don't you do me a favor? Check us out on our website watchclicker.com look every single episode of this podcast is there you don't you don't need help finding those obviously but also weekly watch reviews articles other fun stuff you can also check us out on the socials really at instagram at 40 and 20 underscore watch clicker or at watch clicker if you want to support what we're doing and we hope you do you can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. Look, you don't have to give a lot or or anything because it's a free podcast. But if you did want to support us, it would really help us afford the things that we have to pay for, like hosting and hardware and software, recurring charges a lot of times. Uh, all of your support is appreciated and welcome. We love you. We do. And also, don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.